as I was reading through the Old Testament, I noticed that there were three types of relationship that we as Christians can have with the Lord. The first type of relationship would be those that will make a deal with the Lord. I believe this to be the worst kind of a relationship that a Christian can have with the living God. For reason that when our Christian walk is built on making deals with the Lord, the living God, the outcome is always worse than we had planned or thought. Now, my support for this kind of relationship, I picked up from the book of Judges, chapter 11, primarily there in verses 29 to 31, but the entire chapter I would definitely recommend reading. A brief review of the chapter is a man by the name of Jephthah, Jephthah the Gileadite. He goes out against the enemies of Israel and presents to the Lord an offer, a deal, an arrangement that Jephthah thought totally that the Lord would agree to. We can come to understand what kind of a person Jephthah is or was by examining his life and lifestyle. Let me read for you the first three verses of chapter 11, and I am going to be reading out of the Christian Standard Bible. Jephthah the Gileadite was a valiant warrior, but he was the son of a prostitute, and Gilead was his father. Gilead's wife bore him sons, and when they grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You will have no inheritance in our father's family because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Then some worthless men joined Jephthah and went on raids with him. What we learn in here is that Jephthah was a well-trained tyrant that did whatever he wanted at any time he wanted, and no one could stop him. Jephthah was a born leader. No matter what we might believe about ourselves, it will be our lifestyle that tells the truth about who we really are. There in verses 1 and 2, we also learned Jephthah was the son of a prostitute. He was cast out by his brothers. He was a mighty man of valor. He was surrounded by worthless men that went out raiding with him. Now, by the time we arrive in verses 30 and 31, what will happen is this. The leaders of Israel, the very ones who kicked him out, are now calling on Jephthah because they are being attacked by the Ammonites an enemy of Israel. So they call upon Jephthah and they say, Jephthah, come, defend us, fight for us, beat the Ammonites, conquer them for us, and as payment, we will have you to be the leader of Israel. Jephthah accepts the deal, provided they would make him leader of Israel. And what Jephthah also does 
is he makes a deal with God. Hence bringing us to this first and most heinous relationship, in my opinion. Those that will make a deal with the Lord. Verses 30 and 31. We'll start with verse 29. It reads this. The Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah, who traveled through Gilead and Manasseh, and then through Mizpah of Gilead. He crossed over to the Ammonites from Mizpah of Gilead. Jephthah made this vow to the Lord. If you, in fact, hand over the Ammonites to me, and again, I am reading out of the Christian Standard Version, so its translation reads this, Whoever comes out the doors of my house to greet me when I return safely from the Ammonites will belong to the Lord, and I will offer that person as a burnt offering. However, the King James Version will read, Whatsoever comes out of the door, it will be this that I offer to you. The New King James also reads, Whatever. The Hebrew word used here is the word Asher. And the word Asher can in fact mean whatever comes out, or whoever, or however. The idea that Jephthah is wrapping his mind around is that if God, you give me victory, then anything in my house is yours. Anything whatsoever, however, and even whosoever comes to me. Now, how many of us own dogs or an animal? The first thing that comes to you to greet you is, in fact, your dog. It's a known fact. I used to have one. I also then had cats. And let me tell you, when I would come home from work or from a friend's house, whatever, my cat would come to me to greet me, to get petted or whatever. I am sure that if you grew up on a farm, you may have a pet cow or goat or sheep as King David did. It is the farthest from my mind to believe that Jephthah believed what was going to come out of his door because we see that there later on in the chapter. Well, verse 32, we see that God upheld his supposed end of the bargain, according to Jephthah. It reads there, verse 32, Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord handed them over to him. How that must have made Jephthah feel. Everyone is cheering for Jephthah at this very moment. The very ones who kicked him out and brought him back in the land of Israel are now cheering him, giving him exactly what they said they would give him, having him to be the leader of Israel. On his way home, that, in my mind, is the only thing on his mind. We should not mistake what we claim to be answers to prayer as equal to that which is approved of the living God. As we will soon see, the outcome of this event is clearly not a blessing from the living God. 
who loves us so much that he gave his only Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, 16. By the time we get to verses 34 and 35, do we see the grave consequence of Jephthah's unnecessary promise to the Lord? It reads, When Jephthah went to his home in Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with tambourines and dancing. She was his only child. He had no other son or daughter besides her. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, No, not my daughter. I can imagine the roar that he belted. All the valley probably heard it as he screamed, as he roared, No, not my daughter. You have devastated me. You have brought great misery on me. I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. To make a deal with God in the attempt to persuade him in our favor is an act of a selfish lifestyle. This lifestyle is not correctly lived for the Lord. If Jephthah had only been living the life where the kingdom of God was his main concern, he only would have needed to ask for victory, and the Lord probably would have given it to him, and as we see, the Lord would have given it to him. Victory was his. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus says there in verse 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Elsewhere, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, Jesus will say, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. All these things that would be necessary to live a life pleasing to God. In conclusion, the next time you want to say to the Lord, If you do this for me, I will do that for you. Remember Jephthah here in the book of Judges, chapter 11. That will conclude our first relationship we as Christians can have with the Lord. The second relationship we as Christians can have with the Lord are those that expect or assume the Lord will bless an action without first consulting Him. To support this kind of a relationship, I looked in... First Chronicles, the first book of Chronicles, chapter 21. How many of us are so confident in our relationship with the Lord that we feel we do not need to consult Him? This kind of confidence can come from after having a long-lasting relationship with the Lord. That is to say, you may have been a Christian for many years. Also, this kind of confidence can come after a major event may have occurred in our lives where we feel exceedingly blessed. For example, a promotion or a qualification that exceeds all others. There are decisions we will have to make in this life that the Lord will not bless 
due to our failure to consult him first. These decisions go into the category that are known as life-changing decisions. That is to say, career jobs, marriage partners, major purchases such as land, home, a means of transport, even what church to attend, and etc. These life-changing decisions are the ones that the living God most certainly expects us to first consult Him. These decisions will not only affect the person making them, but they will also affect everyone else around them. God is very much concerned on how we live our lives, which will either be lived in a manner that is pleasing to us, or in a manner that is pleasing to God. Our lives as professed Christians are to have a positive effect on the lives of others. Our lives as professed Christians should give others an accurate understanding of what it means to be saved by the blood of Christ Jesus, which is also the pure definition of grace. What does it mean to live in the age of grace? Furthermore, and more accurately, what does it mean to appreciate the age of grace in which we live? The first book of Chronicles, chapter 21, a brief review. David is king of Israel. He is a mighty king of Israel. He is an accomplished king of Israel. Powerful. In verses 1 and 2, it reads this. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to count the people of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring a report to me so I can know their number. As we see that Satan is involved in the influence of David's action, and we know from the Bible that Satan was a prideful creature, it only leads me to believe that pride was the reason for David to count the people. David is now a powerful king. Oftentimes, the pride of life comes along with success. As pride overtakes us, so it is that we give Satan the opportunity to move in between us and the Lord. Take note that David does not consider to consult the Lord before taking action to have the people of Israel counted. Verses 7 and 8. We'll start with verse 6. It reads this, But Joab, who was sent out to count the people of Israel, he did not include the tribe of Levi or the tribe of Benjamin, because he detested the command of the king to do so. Verse 7. This command was also evil in God's sight. So God afflicted Israel. David said to God, realizing what he did, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. Now, please take away your servant's guilt, for I have been very foolish. 
God is very interested to be involved in the decisions of our lives. Though God is able to forgive us of our selfish and foolish decision-making, it is the consequence that we now have to live with. Most times, the effects of consequence remain for the rest of our lives. The living God had given David three choices, or three results of consequence. Three choices to choose from, by which he would suffer for his lack of consulting the Lord before making a major decision such as the one he made. Verses 11-12 read, So Gad went to David and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Take your choice. Three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes with the sword of your enemy overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord, a plague on the land, the angel of the Lord bringing destruction to the whole territory of Israel. Now, decide what answer I should take back to the one who sent me. Remember what kind of a relationship we are now referring to. Those that expect or assume the Lord will bless an action without first consulting him. It would be verses 14 through 16 that reads, So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, and 70,000 Israelite men died. Then God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But when the angel was about to destroy the city, the Lord looked relented concerning the destruction, and said to the angel who was destroying the people, Enough, withdraw your hand now. The angel of the Lord was then standing at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. When David looked up and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven with his drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem, David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell face downward. It is this kind of a relationship with God that will only have us running back to God, begging for his mercy. The Son of God did not die for all of mankind in order that we would have this kind of relationship with him. It would be God who would say through the prophet Jeremiah, there, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration, or so saith the Lord. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. The conclusion to this kind of relationship that we find an example of here in the first book of Chronicles, chapter 21. The next time we are wanting to make a decision without consulting the Lord first, because we believe that his past blessings toward us has given us some kind of special advancement to glory where we do not need to consult the living God, remember this action concerning David, the mighty king of Israel, as the Holy Spirit of God has had recorded for us to refer. The last kind of relationship that we as Christians can have with the Lord and the one that I have seen to be the accepted type of relationship that we as Christians are to have with the Lord. Those that take action by first consulting the Lord. Here, we will turn back a few pages 
still in the first book of the Chronicles, to chapter 14, where we are going to find David as a young king, his first years as king. The first two verses of chapter 14 will read this. King Hiram of Tyre sent envoys to David, along with cedar logs, stone masons, and carpenters to build a palace for him. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and that his kingdom had been exalted for the sake of his people, Israel. The Lord wants to share his victory with those that would receive him. Throughout chapter 14, we see David consulting the Lord. Starting with verse 8, it reads this, When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they all went in search of David. Now, they were not looking for David to congratulate him. They were David's enemy. They were the enemy of Israel. And so what does David do, knowing that his enemy is coming to kill him? Verse 10 reads, So David inquired of the Lord, Should I attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? And the Lord replied, Attack, and I will hand them over to you. The Lord wants to share his victory with those that would receive him, those that would search for him, those that would consult him. Because later, as the Philistines regrouped, they attacked David again. David, surely confident with his victory over the Philistines the first time, what does he do? Does he take over one of the relationships that we previously went over? No. Verse 14 reads this. Once again, the Philistines raided the valley. So David again inquired of God. And God answered him, Do not pursue them directly. Circle around them and attack them opposite the balsam trees. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then go out to battle, for God will have gone out ahead of you to strike down the army of the Philistines. So David did as God commanded him, and they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. David's fame and recognition did not come as a result of David defeating his enemies, because it was God who told him what to do, and it was God who handed his enemies over to David. David's fame and recognition came as an outcome. It came as a consequence of consulting the living God first. It was God that shared God's victory with David. Salvation from eternal separation of the living God is in fact that victory. And it is gained, it is obtained, it is grasped only through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, there in chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is on the cross. His last breath, and this could very well be the last thing he says, it is finished. The Greek word is teleo, and it means it is accomplished. It means I am victorious. The greatest victory of the living God is his son, Jesus, Jesus the Christ. We as man 
now have the opportunity to share in that victory. God has done all the work, and his greatest desire is that we would consult him so that we would also share in that finished work, the finished work on the cross. My question to the Christian is this. What kind of a relationship are you having with the living God of the Bible? Is it the one who will make a deal with the Lord? Is it the one that expects or assumes the Lord will bless your every action without first consulting him? The only true definition of a correct relationship with the Lord will be the one that takes action only by first consulting the Lord. The Lord says, come to me and I will set you free. God desires that all man would consult him. God desires that all man would come to him. God does not desire that any man should fall, that any man should fail, but that all would come, repent to him. If you haven't made Jesus the Lord of your life, you can ask the Lord, consult with him, ask him to forgive you. He will most certainly bless you with his son, Jesus. Salvation in his son, Jesus. Come to the Lord. He's waiting for you.